How's everybody tonight? Doing all right? Good. Okay, so we've got some really exciting things to talk about tonight, and so we'll see if I'm able to accomplish all of Isaiah chapter 8 or not. Isaiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be, but before we dive in, I just want to remind us of, of Isaiah chapter 7 and kind of what's going on. What, what is it that God is talking to the nation of Israel about? So just, just consider this. The nation of Israel is really freaked out about all the spying and all the conspiracy theories and all the political things that are happening in their nation. They're, they're really worried because there are two traditional enemies. Remember the kingdom's been divided into two, so the northern kingdom is coming against them, and the king of Syria. We saw those named for us in Isaiah chapter 7. And so the Lord is talking to King Ahaz through Isaiah, and he says, man, tell King Ahaz, I'm going to deliver the people. They're trying to make a deal with Assyria. They're trying to make a, a, a treaty with Assyria, who, by the way, we know from history is going to conquer everybody. And they're a horrific people. But the king would rather go to Assyria and make a political alliance than to trust God. And that's going to be a major issue with the nation of Israel during this time. The nation of Israel right now is really focused on trying to solve their own problems. They would probably, if you went to the coffee shop in Israel around this time, they would be sitting around talking about how God helps those who... Oh, so you guys have heard it before too. So you have this idea in the nation of Israel. Hey, we need to be proactive and we need to get this political train rolling and we need to make a treaty with these guys because they're the biggest guys on a block and if we have them on our side, then we're not going to have to worry. And so Isaiah the prophet shows up and he says, you guys don't have to worry anyway, just trust God. God says he's got this. King Ahaz, God said he's going to... He's going to deliver you from these two guys you're worried about. <clears throat> so God says to King Ahaz, he doesn't do this very often in Scripture. He says to King Ahaz, Ahaz, ask me for a sign. And King Ahaz says, no, I don't want to ask you for a sign. I don't want to test the Lord my God, meaning I don't really think you're faithful. It's not the same thing, guys, as when the Lord, when Jesus is being tempted and he says, the word says not to test the Lord your God. Just so you know, if God stands in front of you and says, ask me anything, I'll, I'll prove to you I'm faithful. And you say, no, that's not ever going to go good. Just so you know. God's saying, hey, when he, God showed up to a 12-year-old kid and said, ask me anything and I'll prove to you I'll be with you, Solomon. What would Solomon say? He said, uh, make me wise, give me wisdom so that I can lead your people. And God called Solomon Jedediah, beloved of God, because he accepted what God was telling him and stepped out in faith to trust God. Now, King Ahaz won't do it. And so we have a very familiar scripture in Isaiah chapter 7. We'll pick it up in verse 10. Look what it says. Again, the Lord said to Ahaz, just, just by reminder i hope i'm not spending too much time there and the lord said the king to ahaz ask a sign of the lord your god let it be as deep as sheol the grave or as high as heaven but ahaz said i will not ask i will not put the lord to the test so he said hear then o house of david 
Is it too little for you to weary men, but you're going to weary God also? So the idea is, hey, King Ahaz not trusting God. Behold, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now we've heard this before, right? A couple of months, you're going to hear it again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We've all heard that at Christmas time, and we know that this prophecy is pointing to Messiah. And we're going to we're going to understand that hopefully a little bit better tonight as we continue to work our way through. But it also was a sign to Ahaz. The sign to Ahaz could not be Messiah. Are you guys with me? Remember as we study Isaiah, here's the point in the, in the book of Isaiah. How is this Israel who is a mess going to become that Israel that's not? How is there going to be transformation? And all the way through, this concept of transformation is being told... The key to it was in Isaiah chapter 6, right? When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filling the temple, and Isaiah's sins were purged. You remember the event? God purges Isaiah's sins. That's how that Israel's become this one. That's how that Isaiah became an Isaiah that could be used of God. So in the same way, we know that there's an event coming to purge sins. That's going to be... The, the pointing, the far end of this prophecy. But there's a near side to this prophecy. Because King Ahaz was given a sign for him. A sign for King Ahaz could not happen a thousand years later. King Ahaz does not live that long. And we know that for certainty when we look at the rest of what the scripture says is going to happen. Listen, verse 15. He will eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. That's the sign. So there's really going to be a child, and before that child knows the difference between good and evil, those two kings you're so afraid of are going to be gone. So it's a real sign for Ahaz, and a future sign of the deliverance of God's people. And chapter 8 kind of wraps all of that up for us. In chapter 8, we're presented with this nation who has an inability to trust that God will be involved in their daily affairs. I would say the United States of America has the same problem. The church in the United States of America has the same problem. We think the solution for our problems are all these political alliances and all these political games that people play. And the answer... It has nothing to do with that. The answer is learning to trust God. The answer is what God said in, in, in the book of Chronicles, right? He said, if my people who are called by my name will what? First step, humble themselves. Second step, pray. But neither one of those things had anything to do with political alliances, did they? Nope. Had everything to do with, though, humbling ourselves before God. Okay, God, you're, you're in charge. Secondly, praying humble ourselves and pray the third thing he talks about is repentance and and uh, and on and on that part goes so here you have israel struggling with much the same thing they're all caught up in all these conspiracies and instead of going to god they go everywhere else instead of going to god they go to assyria instead of going to god they're going to ask um the psychic hotline the israel's version of the psychic hotline they're going to go to diviners they're going to go to everybody but God. But here, God's prophet is standing before them. So in chapter 8, Isaiah wants to show them, wants to prove to them that God is really working in their nation 
and that God is really going to accomplish something for him. And 8 verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to me, so God's talking to Isaiah, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, meaning make it so everyone can see. Habakkuk has a similar phrase. Prophet Habakkuk was told, Take the vision and write it plain so when the people read it, they can run with it. Make this understandable. So he says, make this understandable. And so on the plaque, he's going to write this phrase. Belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. And then he says, now once you write it, I want you to, I want you to get two reliable witnesses. Next verse. I will get reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest, Zechariah, the son of Jeberekiah to attest for me. So there, those two guys, is King Ahaz's high priest and King Ahaz's personal prophet. So you have King Ahaz's like two advisory guys. You guys with me? Make them see you write it. So Isaiah's going to get these two guys, they're going to come out and he's going to take this plaque like something wood or metal, and he's going to inscribe on that <coughs> plaque belonging to Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. And so he does this. He does this, and he gets that witness. So that happens prior to 732 B.C. Okay? 732 B.C. Verse 2 has concluded. Verse 3 has got to be somewhere around 734. So two years pass. You don't notice it in the text. But in verse 3, Isaiah said, And I went to the prophetess. That's his wife. I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. So before the son's ever born, remember he said in chapter 7, I'm going to give you a son. And before that son knows good from evil, these two guys are going to get wiped out. You guys tracking with me? <clears throat> and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, which is what Isaiah is trying to show the people. God's with you. Are you, everybody still with me? God is here. God is moving. God is working. You're going to know this is happening. So he says, call his name Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. And then look what he says in verse 4. For before the boy knows how to cry, Papa, Dada, or Mama, before the boy knows how to do that, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away by the king of Assyria. So he goes, he makes this prophecy somewhere around 732, somewhere around 734. We're going to see the fulfillment of that. And the sign that it's going to happen is Isaiah's son being born. He used the exact same phrase. Before this boy can say, Dada or Mama, it's going to be done. What did he say about the, the other child? A, a, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And before he knows good from evil, these two kings are going to be done away with. We're, we're talking about the same child. Now we understand, we're going to see in a moment, that there's bigger things going on too that are looking future. But there had to be an immediate issue. Otherwise, what's the point of telling Ahaz? Right? Because Ahaz is not going to see Jesus born. Is he? 
Jesus is not going to be born for another more than a thousand years. So that's not going to work. Who's he talking about? Isaiah. He's pointing to Isaiah's son. He's saying before good or bad happens. Now here's what's going on. Here is the sign child. <laughs> Assyria is going to come. And they're going to conquer your enemies. That's the guys they're trying to make a treaty with. Instead of trusting God, they're trying to make a treaty with Assyria. And it's going to happen before the child can speak. Before the child speaks, before he knows good from evil, this thing is going to be accomplished. This is going to be accomplished for them. But then look what he says. Samaria will be carried away from before the king of Assyria. This is a flood. The picture is of a flood. We're going to see that idea still developed in verse 5. So the Lord spoke to me again. Because this people have refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia, therefore behold. Okay, so what's going on? So God has been trying to tell the people, I'm going to deliver you. But the people don't want to trust in God. And so the, the idiom, the example, the illustration that God uses of himself is a little stream called Shiloh, peace. But my people don't want to, they don't want to trust in the, in the little stream Shiloh instead, but they're rejoicing that their enemies are gone. So now the fulfillment has occurred. Their enemies, the two guys they were worried about, remember, they're wiped out. Oh, man, those two guys are gone. We don't have to worry about them. But in verse 7, the Lord says, therefore, behold. That's, that's usually means something bad's coming. Okay? So you didn't want to trust in me, this little stream of peace. So instead, the flood of Assyria is coming. That's the essence. Look at it. So the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many the king of Assyria, (coughs) and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over its banks. So the Lord is saying, you could have trusted in me, the little stream of peace. But instead, you didn't. So now here comes the mighty river Assyria. And it's going to overflow the channels. It's going to overflow the banks. The flood of Assyria is not going to stop with your two enemies. Assyria is not going to stop with those two guys and then get to you and say, Oh, you know what? That's, that's good. No. Why would they stop? If these two guys could whoop you, what do you think Assyria is going to do who just whooped them? Assyria is going to go over you like a flood. Why? Why, why, why is it that God would allow this? Because through this whole thing, God's trying to show the people to trust in him. You're trusting in armies, you're trusting in abilities, you're trusting in treaties, but you won't trust in me. So God said, the first two little enemies come, and you freaked out and you wouldn't trust in me. Now a big enemy's coming. How many times in our own lives have we struggled to trust God over little things? And only to find out when a big thing comes, sometimes the thing's so big there's really nothing you can do. And when that happens, what are you left with? Well, there's nowhere else I can go. There's no place else I can run. So I'm going to trust in you. And that's exactly what happened to to Israel in this time in their history. They're They're going to face an enemy so big they can't beat them. And when we face, sometimes God allows those things in our life. Because when we face that, once again we'll look to Him. 
When we saw the little enemies, you know, we were running everywhere else for answers. <clears throat> but when we see the big one, that gets our attention, our eyes back to him. And look what he's, he's describing this flood. So look at the flood language. A flood is going to come over you. Look at verse 8. And it will sweep on into Judah, and it will overflow and pass on. But look what he says next. Reaching even to the what? Neck. So if a flood reaches to your neck, the point is, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to wash you away. But it's going to get to the neck. Now, I don't know if you've ever been stuck in water. That uh, maybe you're stuck somewhere and the water's rising. And, and if it gets any heavier or any higher, you don't know what you're going to do. And this is what he's talking about. It's going to rise to your neck. It's going to be close. It's going to get right to here. How many times do we find ourselves in a situation where it feels like the next wave is going to take me out? I won't survive the next wave. And you can see it coming. Only to find out that as that wave goes, somehow, miraculously, your feet are still touching the rock. And the water's not over your head, but it's close. And how often has God brought us to that? He's, he's doing the same for them, look at the next phrase he uses. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. What's the next two words? Oh, who? Oh, you guys thought I was all crazy till right now, huh? Wait a minute. What, what, who's he talking about? Okay, so remember, this is the Emmanuel prophecy. We got this idea, this concept of a child that's going to come... From a virgin, in this case, Alma, can mean a, a woman who hasn't had a child, now she has a child. It does not require a virgin birth like we're going to see in the New Testament when the New Testament writers say, nope, it's not Alma. The New Testament writers are going to use Parthenos, they're going to use the word that can only mean a virgin who's never known a man. That's why people argue over this scripture all the time. But this scripture has a fulfillment in the time of Isaiah. That's the point. Otherwise, what was the point of the prophecy? Oh, King Ahaz, I'll give you a sign that will happen in a thousand years. No. King Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. A child's going to be born. And before that child knows right from wrong, you're going to see that I'm able to deliver the people. And that's the point that God's making. So he's saying, look, this guy's going to come, and Assyria is going to surround you, and they're going to be all around you, and they're going to have you all covered, and you're going to be in such a panic. And who are you going to reach out to then? Because there will be no deliverance. No deliverance from anybody. Nobody's going to be able to help you, because they're, they're it. They're the king at the time. They're the nation that rules the world. Who are you going to go to? There's no Ghostbusters to call. This is it. So he's going to pay, take them to a place like Migdol and Pihahiroth. You guys remember those two names, Migdol and Pihahiroth? The children of Israel are leaving Egypt. And the Egyptians are so happy to see them go, they pay them to leave. They throw at them all their money, their gold, get out of here, please leave. So when they leave, God leads the children of Israel. Remember Pillar of Fire? You guys with me? Leads them to Migdal, the rock, and Pihahiroth, 
the hard place. Migdol and Pihahiroth, it, they're trapped. They got the Red Sea on one side. Migdol and Pihahiroth, nowhere to go. And now all of a sudden, the armies of Egypt are coming against them. And God led them there. To destroy them? No. To do what? To show them he is mighty to save. I'll deliver you. Trust me. Right? We find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. That is when the Lord wants to show himself mighty to save. Trust God. It doesn't mean that the waters are always going to part and you're going to walk across on dry land. Sometimes the water is going to be up to your neck. Isn't that what's happening here? Water's up to your neck. You're almost, you're this, this close from, the, from your neck to your mouth from, from dead. That's close, right? That's like six inches. You're six inches from not making it. So God's saying, I'm, I'm taking you to that place. It's going to fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel, God with us. God was with them, and God is ultimately going to be with us all in ways we couldn't even imagine when, when this prophecy is first given. In the ways that we would see it, the land of God with us. So who can stop the flood? Only the little trickling waters of Shiloh, peace, whom the Judeans had rejected. That's who can stop it. In Numbers 14.9 it says this, Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. He's saying the enemies are bread. Now, remember when that happened... There was a couple of guys who came out and said, there's giants in the land. You remember? There's giants. What are we going to do? And then here you got Joshua and Caleb saying, they're bread to us. They're, what's it? They're, there's, there's something wrong with somebody's perspective there, isn't there? Because one guy sees giants and we can't do it. And the other guy sees bread. When's the last time you were afraid of bread? Yeah. <laughs> If you're on one of them diets, I know that uh, I'm just thankful for all you guys who do keto and all that other stuff because that's more bread for me. So they, they, he says, don't be afraid. They're bread to us. They're bread. Nothing to be afraid of. Psalm 46, 6 and 7 says, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice and the earth melts. God's bigger God's bigger. The Lord of hosts is with us. You want to know how you say that in Hebrew? Emmanuel. Crazy, huh? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Man, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of all of these things. So we see in this prophecy, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz is the initial fulfillment of the Emmanuel prophecy. And, and so that is the sign the King Ahaz. But he can't fulfill it all. He can't because <clears throat> Judah is called Emmanuel's land. The land of God with us. 
Maharshalal Hashbaz, he's, he's a small part of the fulfillment, but there's ultimately going to be one who comes to Judah who will be, who will, who will fulfill the concept of God with us. That's still a thousand years away. This one is right here before us. It can only be Messiah in whom all hope resides. It is as if Isaiah is looking at the implications of this sign laid out before him. And suddenly he's brought up to this understanding that there's more going on than just the fact that my son can't speak yet and God's delivered to people. Because this is the land of Emmanuel. God with us. There will be an Emmanuel who comes. And we see that when Matthew, pointing back to Isaiah chapter 7, uses the word Parthenos. The virgin will conceive. Parthenos, a woman who's never known a man. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And they called his name Yeshua. Yeshua means God is my salvation. Jesus mighty to save. It's all laid out in that beginning as we work our way through chapter 8. But there's more to come. It says in in verse 9, he says, Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. God's saying to all the enemies of Israel, Go ahead. Get your armies and come. You're going to lose. Put on whatever you want. Bring whatever armies you want. Shennacherib is going to stand outside of Jerusalem with 186,000 soldiers. And he's going to mock King Hezekiah. And he's going to say, there's nothing you can do, king. I'm carrying with me the heads of all the kings who said their gods were going to save them. And I have their heads, so their gods didn't save them. And neither will your God save you. And so King Hezekiah prays, and he lays out the letter in the temple of the Lord, and he says, God, this problem's so big, I can't do it. So he trusts the Lord, goes to sleep, wakes up the next day, and the army's gone fact 186,000 soldiers slain in one night one angel passed through one army how many angels does God have so I'm not sure if the one works up a sweat or not we'll read about it when we get to around Isaiah 38 but or 30 maybe it's 33 but as we As we head that way, we'll get a chance to see it and spend a little time talking on it. But this is what the Lord's talking about. Hey, you guys come. Pile on. Just so that my people know, nothing happens unless God says it happens. Nothing. God says, I'm right here. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And if God is for us, what's the next part? Who can be against us? God is 
with us. By the way, that last phrase, those last four words, what is that? God with us. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Crazy, huh? God is with us. Judah is helpless, but God is with us. Now, the next part of this prophecy moving forward is about this idea. Our way, Judah's way, the people's way is darkness, but his way is light. Our way is darkness. If we want to do things our way, we're almost always going to be wrong. The book of Proverbs said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but where does it end? How many times do we think we are doing the right thing, only to find out, well, the right thing didn't turn out to be the right thing? And maybe, maybe, we need to recognize what Isaiah the prophet saying here. Our way is darkness, but God's way is light. So maybe we need to wait on the Lord. We always want to be in action, though, don't we? Come on, i got to do something, i got to do something, i got to do something. All I know is every time I've ever felt that way and done something, it didn't help. And sitting around didn't really help either. But then we're missing the concept of waiting on the Lord. Whenever you think of the phrase, wait on the Lord, I want you to think of a waiter. What does a waiter do? Yeah. So when the scripture says, wait on the Lord, God's saying, be a waiter on God. Wait on Him. Seek His face. Go after Him. You see examples of that all over in scripture, don't we? David, we see examples of David waiting on the Lord, going after him. We want to have this idea where we have a dependence on God, because he's the one who has light. I don't have light in me. God has light, so I need God in me to guide me. His word is a light, right? His word is our direction. We want to have that. So we want to pay attention to God. Look at verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Don't follow these examples. I want you to walk in a different way. Don't walk in the darkness. Walk out. Walk in the light. Verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. You ever sit down with a conspiracy nut? We have any conspiracy nuts tonight? I guarantee we got a couple. Here he says, don't call everything a conspiracy that these people call conspiracy. <laughs> and do not fear what they fear. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. This is a thing we struggle with. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. We have a hard time with this understanding of what it means to honor the Lord as holy. I give you an example. In apologetics, I'm taking an apologetics class in in uh, college right now, <clears throat> and they do the same exact thing. First Peter three fifteen is the verse everybody uses for apologetics. This is usually how they quote it. Always be prepared to give a defense for your faith. Everybody, you ever heard that? But I skipped something, didn't I? What did I skip? But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
I mean, before I start making a defense and coming up with all this philosophy and all these ideas about how I'm going to defend whatever God's doing, the first thing I need to do is honor Christ the Lord as holy in my heart. That means He sits as King. Him. I start with Him. Here it says, don't, don't look at every conspiracy as a conspiracy. Don't be afraid of what everyone else is afraid of or dread what everyone else is dreading. Instead, honor the Lord your God as holy. Let God have that rightful place. Honor Him. Fear the Lord. Dread Him. Not this other stuff. There ain't no reason to be afraid of what chaos is going to happen. What's going to happen if, if Judge Kavanaugh is or isn't brought in and confirmed into the seat what's going to happen if if next election you know who knows the worst possible thing happens and somebody else gets elected and don't worry don't be afraid don't have conspiracies about everything trust god honor him hold the lord your god as holy in your heart and then he's going to call us to to look to him look what it says and he will become a sanctuary. So if you honor God in your heart as holy, I trust God, he'll be for you a sanctuary. That sounds like a good deal, right? I could stop right there, but there's a whole other part of this verse. If I don't honor God as holy, then he will be a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many will stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Conquered. So the idea, honor God and he is a sanctuary. Don't honor God and he's a stone of offense. I'm mad. Where was God? I needed God. He wasn't there. Well, maybe God's not honored as Lord in your heart. Maybe that's what God's showing you. And if God's not honored as Lord in your heart, then, then uh, yeah, he's going to be a, a rock of stumbling. Where were you, Lord? I'm right here, but you're not with me. What did Jesus say in, in Matthew chapter 7? He said, many will say, Lord, Lord, we've done all these things in your name. And Jesus said, I'm going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Who are you? Because have you honored the Lord as holy in your heart? Are you trusting Him that He is faithful? Or, or is He just a name in the repertoire, right? Like we like to drop names. I know so and so. I know such and such. I know Jesus, right? But He called so and so and such and such. They're not going to know me. Jesus is saying, neither will I. Honor the Lord as holy. Honor the Lord as holy. In Matthew 21, 44, it says, And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Yeah, The concept is, if you fall on him, you get broken. Broken's not dead. But if he falls on you, crushed. Crushed is gone. 
So we come in brokenness to the stone. We come in brokenness to the Lord. Here's what Simeon said, looking at Jesus. <clears throat> he blessed him and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that will be opposed, for the rising and falling of many in Israel. In Romans 9.33 it says this, As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will what? Not be put to shame. Honor the Lord. Honor him as Lord in your heart. Believe, trust, faith. Faithfulness in God. God wants faithfulness above all things. Believe and trust in him. And then Isaiah says in verse 16, So bind up this testimony. Seal the teaching uh, among my disciples. What's he saying? This is, you take it to the bank. Seal it up. It's going to happen. This is going to come. God's going to bring the nation right to the brink. And thankfully the nation has a king who wants to seek the Lord. And so he does. And God's deliverance is right at hand. Now look at verse 17. He says, So I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. I'm not going to make deals with Assyria. There's no deals to be made there. Let me, let me say this. I'm not going to make deals with the Republicans. I get in trouble every time I say this. Republicans are liars. I'm not going to make a deal with Democrats. The Democrats are liars. I'm not going to make a deal with constitutionalists. Constitutionalists are liars. You know how I know? Because they're men. Just like me. I'm a liar too. I'm going to wait on the Lord and hope in Him. I'm going to wait on Him. I'm going to do the things Jesus told me to be doing while I'm here looking for Him. Because nothing on this world is going to get right till the King of Kings is here. Nothing is going to get straight. If you sit down, I, 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 I have an eclectic group of podcasts I like to listen to. That's a pretty good word, huh? Eclectic. A lot, I like a lot of different kinds. And... I am often amazed at how stupid people are. Uh, I was I was telling Danielle earlier today. I was listening to Rabbi Zacharias on uh, RZIM, and and he was talking about a guy. He he goes to college campuses and answers questions. Kids who have questions at the college campus, and one kid said, "I just have one question. How do I know I exist?" That's our future right there. Just so you know. You answered the question by asking it. The concept of existence is, uh, or, or, or not being existing, if I ask the question, it's defeated. If I've asked the question, I have to exist. Otherwise, I couldn't ask the question. It's a, there's a whole philo philosophical study on it. You can ask Danielle. I had to write a paper on it already, so... She's my, uh, go through my paper and check it and make sure I didn't do anything crazy on it. One of the other, <clears throat> one of the other guys, you know, said, uh, said, why, why, to, to Ravi Zacharias, why, why does life have to be coherent? Who said there has to be coherence in life? So Ravi asked the question back. I just have one question for you. Do you want my answer to be coherent? 
We have a bunch of crazy ideas in our world right now. Why? Because we've rejected reasoning. Because we've rejected the Lord. Logic, understanding, comprehension, it all comes from Him. Morality, it all comes from Him. You reject Him and you're left with absurdity. No matter where you go and what you do, that's what you have left. And we see it every time I turn. I was watching a bunch of interviews of kids from Antifa. All talking about, you know, their plan for where the world needs to go. And I'm like, it's, it's like listening to utter morons. Now, I don't mean that because, I don't mean that as a, something against them. I mean that as their, their argument is senseless. It doesn't make any sense. Because we've, we've stripped, we, relativity has stripped the world of any absolutes. So the only thing that left is left is chaos. And the Republicans don't have an answer. I don't care. You guys can all talk to me afterwards. I'll listen and smile, but I will not believe a Republicans got the answer. Just so you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a Republican. That I was in California for that chaos. And no, I did not vote for him. I would be back. No, I'm not, that's not the governor. The governor in there now is worse. Ah, uh, Okay. It's okay. Let me ask you, in this statement, is this statement self-defeating? The less of two evils? Is there such a thing? I I picked evil A, because it's not as bad as evil B. Well, back up. Weren't they both evil? Is there such a thing as... Less evil? I don't know. We like to think so, don't we? We like to think I'm less evil than that guy. Right? Or another way of saying it is, I'm not as bad as him. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible say he's worse than you? That other guy? This guy? That I don't care where you point. doesn't make any difference. Is there such a thing as the lesser of two evils? I will wait for the Lord, and I'll hope in Him. And He gave us a job. Did He give us a job? We're not just supposed to sit at home and watch Fox. Did He give us a job? What did He say? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them the things that I said. That's what He told us to do, right? Do we got a job to do? So when it says, I'm waiting on the Lord, we still got, we still got marching orders. We need to be cracking. I don't serve any of this political agenda. I serve Jesus Christ. He's king. One king. I got one king. And as much as whoever else is calling the shots lines up with him, we have peace. And as much as they don't, I won't. I got one king to serve. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to follow what he lays out for us to follow. It says in Isaiah 8, 18, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs. This is Isaiah talking. I and the children the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. What's he saying to the people? God's here. He's working now. Me and my kids are signs of that. Each one of Isaiah's kids were named because God said, Call him this. Call them that. 
Tell the people. Show the people. Let them know that I am here. Now look where this, look where the, the nation of Judah goes. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums. Well, that's perfect, right? We should go. There's a palm reader somewhere. Let's go there to find out what we should do next. Inquire the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. It was because the idea was that, that the dead spoke like birds. So they tried to speak like birds. And they chirped and muttered when they talked to them. Should not a people inquire of their God? This God. Shouldn't they talk to me? Why are they going to mediums? Why are they going to the dead to get answers for the living? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. Saying, go to the word of God. Why would they go to these things? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light. They are walking in what? Darkness. They are walking in darkness. They will pass through the land distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. Yep, that pretty much wraps it up, don't it? When things don't go right, hey, we're, we're doing whatever we want. Whatsoever a man wants to do, that's what he ought to do. That's what he's doing. This is how we're living our life. And then when it doesn't work out, we're going to shake our fists at the king and we're going to shake our fists at God. Ah, it's, that's every day in the United States. And it was every day in Judah. This was the way that they were. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. I'd say that wraps up every time I look at the future. I got a bunch of little grandkids. I'd sure like to say there's more hope than what it looks like, but I can tell them this, hope in Christ. It's always hope in Christ. I don't know there's hope in us, but there's hope in Christ. Look to him. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He's saying, yeah, it's dark and it's dark, but there's a light that's going to come. One day there will be a light and it's going to show up in Galilee. Got an idea who he's talking about? We've been reading about him in Luke, haven't we? Where's Jesus been until he decided to set his face toward Jerusalem? Where was he doing all that ministry? Galilee, wasn't it? What did he say to the Galileans who walk in darkness? A light has come. You guys don't know what you're doing. You're walking around in gloom and you're looking for hope and all these other things. You're talking to the dead and all this craziness. And what you need to do is turn your eyes to the Lord. For he is mighty to save. God's going to deliver them. And God has provided deliverance for us all. Through the virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son. For God is with us just like he was with them. Jesus Christ is able 
to save. We put our eyes on a lot of other things, but listen, only one thing saves. We can have a lot of plans. We're good at making plans, aren't we? Make plans for this, make plans for that. But in the end, God's calling His people to wait on Him. Trust in Him. Hope in Him. Seek His face. Seek His ways. And keep your eyes open to see the salvation of our God. That's how that Isaiah became this one. That's how that Israel becomes the new Israel. That's how you and I were an old creation and we become new. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word. We thank you for the opportunity to delve in. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we're able to glean. We're able to hold on to have some understanding of what's going on in Isaiah chapter 8. And this concept is going to even continue into 9 as he is still looking uh, for uh, full fulfillment through Messiah. And all the way to 11 when we get to see a picture of that deliverance by Messiah. Lord God, we just lift this time to you. We pray. Give us a hunger for your word that we would desire to know, that we want to know you, that we want to have faith and trust in you. These are the things you're looking for from us. So I pray, Lord, we be faithful men like Isaiah. Me and my children will be assigned to you. I pray for each of us, that be our heart. For me and my children will be assigned to you. We're going to trust God. And you can watch us. And that sign, maybe it will show you the way to go. Lord, we lift this time to you. We pray your blessing. Give you praise for the work of your spirit here. In Jesus' name. Amen.